The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, as we pick up again our story, The Kingdom of Heaven is Here. And we're going to be in Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We're going to be talking about um, this amazing man that God raised up uh, to prepare the way for the revelation of God's Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. His name is John the Baptism, or John the Baptist. <laughs> John the Baptizer, but John the Baptist. He, now, it, it, it's before there was the denomination known as the Baptist Church. But um, the Baptist church probably came really from that whole concept of repentance and coming into the kingdom of heaven. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray that the Holy Spirit uh, will speak to our hearts, lead and guide us into the truth, and that knowing the truth, we will be set free as we've never been set free before. Lord, you know each and every one who is here, and I pray that you would have mercy upon them. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you will meet them where they are, whatever is going on in their life. Uh, we are in that in-between time, between this life and the eternal glorious kingdom to come. Now, we have many battles. We have many struggles, trials. Uh, I know that there are many that have been uh, made weary uh, from attack spiritually. The enemy is very real. And some, Lord, need to hear the good news of salvation. And I pray that if there are any here today that have never opened the door of their heart to you, today will be the day that they open their heart and they receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior for all time and eternity. And it's in His wonderful name we pray and ask all these things. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, so we have, uh, we're going to pull four what I call life lessons out of the uh, study this morning as we talk about the baptism of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and fire. So our first life lesson as we get introduced to John the Baptist is this, let us repent for the King is come. Look at the first two verses. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the very first word that comes out of John's mouth is to repent. Uh, as he is going there, he is, he's wanting people to hear the message of the kingdom. Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied 700 years before John the Baptist came. And I want you to read with me Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. It's in your notes. Let's read it out loud. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news, lifting up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear, say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. 700 years before John came, Isaiah the prophet said there is a messenger who is coming, uh, he will be sent from God. There was a man named John, sent by God. And his message will be about the kingdom of God has come. Heaven has come 
back to the earth, as it was in paradise and the Garden of Eden, when God and man walked together in the glorious garden on the top of the mountain, so it shall be again. And the gospel means good news. Notice in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, twice he says, O Zion, a bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Underline that phrase, good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And this, you know, at the end of that verse, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9, the phrase, here is your God. Now, Isaiah is talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. The King is coming. And with the King will come the kingdom of God through the Messiah. But then he says, here is your God. Not merely here is your Messiah or here is your Savior. He says, here is your God. And that's important because through Isaiah, the prophet, the Holy Spirit is saying the Messiah is going to be a manifestation of God Almighty. So that's a very, very important uh, point to make. The revelation of Jesus, the King. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. So that phrase, here is your God, could also be translated, behold, the kingdom of your God has been revealed. And then Matthew introduces us to one of the most fascinating characters of the Bible, John the Baptist. Um, what's interesting is that John was, in fact, the cousin of Jesus. He was actually, they were related. So this is the greatest prophet. In fact, later Jesus would say, in fact, John was the, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus said, and I tell you, of all who have gone before him, none is greater than John the Baptist. Can you think of you know, the, the crowd and the company of great men, mighty men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Elijah, all of these great prophets, and Jesus says, none is greater than John. And the fact that John was related literally to Jesus, he was his cousin, John was born uh, to elderly parents. His father was a priest who worked in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. It was a miraculous birth. It was a sign birth for the most important one, the herald of the way of the kingdom of heaven to come. And they're related to one another. They're family. Isn't that interesting? And when you think about Jesus, when he prayed and talked with his father and through the night and then revealed who would be the 12 men that would represent each one, one of the 12 tribes of Israel that would be called to disciple and to mentor and be with Jesus for three years. Did you know that half of the disciples, six out of the 12, were brothers? They were related to one another. And so thinking of that, the brothers who were in the disciples and then John, who is the prophet, but is related as a cousin to Jesus. What does that say to us about the kingdom of God? It says very simply this, God is not merely about saving individuals as much as he wants to save every last individual, but once God saves an individual, he then wants to go after the whole family. God wants everybody in the family to be saved. That means that every single one of you, if you are one of the first or the first one in your family to be born again and to be saved, 
You have tremendous leverage in heaven with God, who it's already his nature, his character, his heart. He desires your family to be saved. So as you pray for them, intercede for them, you are the beginning. You have brought light. You have brought heaven. You become a mobile carrier of the very spirit of the Lord. So pray for them. Pray for all of your family, your whole tribe, your whole clan, every last one, every aunt, every uncle, every niece and nephew, brother and sister, mom and dad, son or daughter, you want them all into the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So let us pray for them to come. Now, what's also interesting is, so this is appropriately, Matthew is the first of the four good news gospels. He is writing to his audience, which are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people. But, you know, the last book of the Old Testament uh, is from the prophet Malachi. And then you go to the New Covenant in the Gospel of Matthew. Does anyone know how long of a time was it since there was a prophet of God in Malachi and then John the Baptist began to preach? It's called the intertestamental period where there were no prophets. There was no voice of God. There was no Holy Spirit anointed prophet. How long was it? Does anybody know? 400 years. 400 years they had not heard the voice of a man called, anointed, prophetic, directly from heaven for such a time as that. So you can imagine, you know, God uses history and he uses uh, circumstances. He uses everything that is happening to prepare the way. And I believe, and when John began to preach, he went out uh, literally into the wilderness. And as he goes out, his first word is repent. Everybody say repent. (laughs) John's preaching centered on repentance and the kingdom of heaven. The word repent means to change one's mind and then change one's behavior. And so the first word out of John's mouth was repent. When John was beheaded, because he was so holy, righteous, prophesied against the king, Herod, then Jesus picked up John's message. The first word of good news out of Jesus' mouth was repent. Then later when Jesus chose his 12 disciples, mentored them, discipled them, taught them, showed them what to do and how to do it, then he sent them out. You go out and preach. And the very first word he told them to preach is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, when they were to go out and spread the good news, the first word to preach was repent. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when he preached to all the people and the Holy Spirit fell with fire upon the heads of those gathered in the upper room, his first word was repent. And when later the apostle Paul, who was persecuting the Christians, saw the glory of the Lord, was knocked down to the ground and believed when he began to minister, his first word out of his mouth was repent. Now, the Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. Now, if you want to write it down, it's a very powerful word in the Bible. It's it's all the way through the Bible from the beginning to the end. This is the only hope for mankind. This is the beginning, believe it or not, of good news. Now, it's gotten a bad rap, you know, some crazy guy walking around, repent the end of the world in a sandwich board. But the the reality is, it is the beginning of the good news for mankind. 
There's a way out of the craziness. How many would agree the world is getting weirder, crazier, more evil, wicked, lost and confused week by week as things go on? So what, what is the message from heaven to the earth? Look what we are doing to one another. And, and you know, God bless America, the greatest nation with the greatest freedom, the greatest blessings and God's favor upon us. But we still do not have our act together. And, there is, and we are the best, let alone the suffering that is going around and how mankind is treating one another on the earth. The first word from the heart of the creator of the universe to the earth is repent. And the word is teshuvah. Here, let me spell it for you. T-E-S-H-U-V-A-H. And teshuvah means literally turn around and go back in the opposite direction you have been going. That's God's word to the world. That's God's word to the nations. That's God's word to every human being. Repent. Stop going down the road you are going because the way you're going, you are walking into darkness. You are walking into greater fear, greater animosity, greater hatred, greater violence, greater darkness, greater spiritual lostness. Stop. Repent. Literally turn around. So here, let me demonstrate. Here's what Teshuvah is. You've been going down this road. It's getting darker. It's heavier. You're crashing. You're crumbling. You're falling apart. Here's Teshuvah. You stop, turn around, and start walking the other way. So you begin walking the other way. All of the darkness starts leaving you. The brokenness begins to be healed. The darkness begins to give way to light. And the glory of God begins shining upon your face and the open arms of your Father saying, Yes, son, come to me. I want to bless you from now and all of eternity. Amen? That's what Teshuvah is all about. In other words, what John was saying is quit sinning. Turn around and start doing what is right, what is pure, what is holy, what is heavenly, what is righteous, what is just, what is fair, what is full of love and peace and righteousness. So while it includes a change of mind, which it is, it's more. True repentance demands a change of behavior. So when we come to Christ, and at the end of the service, I'm going to give anyone an opportunity because we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I, I have to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. Even if there's one person here this morning or who will hear this message on the radio or who's watching online, wherever they may be, I want to give you that opportunity. If you've never personally opened the door of your heart, confessed your sins, asked forgiveness, and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because in that moment, salvation is given completely, 100%. It's a gift you can never earn, you can never be worthy, never good enough, but you can receive it because God has done all the work. He wants to give it. All you have to do is to receive it. Hallelujah. So we're going to give you that opportunity. But it does require a change of action. Now, there may be someone here this morning that, um, here's what happens in a believer's life. You hear that message, and the first time you hear uh, about repenting, and everybody walks around. We all know that we're not perfect. Everybody knows that we, we sin, we, we live with regrets, we live with uh, remorse. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. Oh, how I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, how I wish I could go back and change 
what I did and I can't. And then there's not only the brokenness that comes with that, there's the weight of shame and then guilt. Uh, The Bible describes sin and guilt and shame as a heaviness, as a weight, as a darkness, and it just, you know, you load it up because you don't get any more righteous. You're, You're walking in sin, and so it's like relieving you of all that burden. Very powerful. But surely you have repented. You ask forgiveness, but then there's always that besetting sin. There may be someone here this morning or that's hearing this message that you know, this one area, I can't overcome it. It's my weakness, my besetting sin or whatever, and you tr- you've tried everything and you failed. And maybe it's a secret. Maybe it's something you've never actually shared with another person. That's why the Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed and restored. Here's what the enemy does. He, he loves for you to have a weakness and then for you to, I'm going to try harder. And then you fail and then you feel guilty. And then finally you go, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, that must be the way I am. And so I'm not going to fight it anymore. I'm just going to let it go. And you kind of get mad at God. You may still be religious. Some of those who came to hear, hear John were religious. Uh, and they would come listen to him, but it was all outward. You can sit in church, but you don't feel the presence of God. You sing songs, but you're not experiencing worship. And all of a sudden, you can't feel God. And the reason you can't feel God anymore is there is a thick, uh, hard crust that is covering your heart because on the inside is all that shame and that guilt and all that fear. If you have a besetting sin, then what should you do? Get some help. Open, you know, be vulnerable and say, you know what? I have tried and I have failed. I can't do it by myself. That's the whole point. That's why there's a family. That's why we need one another. So we love one another. We help one another. And listen, somebody older, that's where to go to older men, older women, not just in age, but in maturity as spiritual who have gone before you and they go, I've been where you've been. I know exactly how you feel. I know the, the tricks of the enemy. He isolates you. He gets you to being alone, and then you're sitting there going through the motions. You go, I'm going to give up on the whole thing, and you walk out, and you get really pounded by the devil in a whole new way. So now, bless you for being open and being honest. You are looking up to me to help you. I was where you once were. Let's pray together. And all of a sudden, God cracks that outer crust, and there's a piercing, and the Holy Spirit comes inside. You experience forgiveness But now God begins to open your eyes and your mind, and he strengthens you to be able to overcome so that you can live in truth, in character, in honesty with the Holy Spirit and truly be delivered of what could be demonic strongholds in your life. Can I hear an amen on that? So if that is you, I want you to respond, not only to agree with the message, but personally do something, what you choose to do and how you respond to the message of repentance is what could truly set you free. The call to repent requires us to quit sinning, turn around, and return to obeying God. Let's go to the next life lesson. So the kingdom, he's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom comes with power and authority to deliver us from all evil. Now that's what John wants to share now in verse 3. It says, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So here's this guy, John the Baptist, who goes out uh, into the wilderness, and that's where he begins to preach. He does not go to Jerusalem, where all the people would go to worship God, where all the hundreds of thousands would gather for the various feasts of the Lord, and they have not heard a prophet. Now listen, you can, you can hear men of God or whatever and not necessarily hear the Spirit of God. There are a lot of men that are knowledgeable or they are good storytellers or they're funny or they have a great personality. Uh, and all of that on a human level goes so far. But surely all of us have experienced the times and the moments where you perceive beyond the human vessel that is speaking, I am hearing the voice of the Spirit of the living God, the creator of the universe. This has the ring of truth to it. And you know it. You feel it. You hear it. That's what happened when John came. But the strange thing is, he didn't go where all the people were. He went to the desert and to the wilderness where no people were. And he started preaching. He started preaching in the middle of the wilderness, repent. And his audience was the wilderness. He said to the mountains, repent. And he prophesied to the mountains, bow down, you great and mighty mountains. Humble yourselves and get ready for the king of the universe has come to you. To valleys that were low, he said, rise up and magnify the name of the Lord. The king has come to you. He preached to the sky and to the clouds and to the animals that were there. And he is preaching with the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God for the first time in 400 years, alone. And then I imagine there were a couple of guys that are walking through the wilderness. They hear some guy yelling his head off out in the middle of nowhere. And they go, let's go hear the crazy man. What's he talking about? And they go, listen to this guy. And all of a sudden, boom, they hear the Spirit of God. They are convicted. They are literally ringing. They go back to their homes and they go to their friends and family. You got to hear this guy. No, 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 no. You got to hear this guy. He's not like anybody we've heard in the temple or any priest you've ever listened to. This is the voice of God. And they dragged their family out. And before you knew it, hundreds started coming out and later thousands and then tens of thousands. And finally, it filtered all the way up to the very leadership of the ancient nation of Israel and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They too kept everybody, you've got to come, you've got to hear, you've got to go. And they went out there. And John was out there preaching with power and authority. And as the people now, multitudes, you, you know when you're at a situation and all of a sudden you realize this is God. This is affecting the nation of Israel. And as the people watched this wild man, John the Baptist, preaching, he, they, they said he reminds us of someone. He reminded them of their greatest prophet before then, and that was Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet was raised up by God at a time when Israel had been rebellious against the Lord. It was when they had compromised. They didn't stop worshiping Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh no, we would never be, you know, that bad. What they did is they said, we will, be, we will have uh, beliefs in other gods, the Canaanite gods. They adopted them and they brought them both together. 
and they tried to live out of two worlds, two ways of living. And thus God raised up Elijah who brought them to Mount Carmel. He said, let's have a big contest. We're going to have the fight of the gods of the universe on the top of this mountain. And whatever God, you, you put your little altar together, call on Baal, Asheroth, whatever you want. You cry out to them, then we will call on the name of the Lord God. Whatever God answers by fire, that will be the God for the nation. Everybody's like, wow, yeah, cool. So all the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth, they got up there, the little, you know, they built their altars, they screamed, they hollered, you know, Baal, 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 come. And all day long, and finally, you know, nobody is saying anything, nobody's doing anything, no God is showing up. So they literally started cutting themselves with knives. They're bleeding. They're falling on the altar of Baal. The idea was if we cut ourselves and hurt ourselves like little kids, then he'll feel sorry for us and come show up. But all they did was bleed all day. Nothing ever happened. And so finally, basically the way I look at it, Baal bailed. He never showed up. (laughs) He did not show up. Elijah said, all right, get out of here, you knuckleheads. You're done. You had your day. It's the time of the evening sacrifice. And he went there on that mountain, and there was an altar that had fallen apart from disrepair, lack of use, time, and age. And he, so the people are watching their ancient altar that hasn't been used in decades. And the prophet of God heals or repairs the altar, puts its stones back in place. And then he walks in front of all the people and all the prophets and prophetesses of Baal and Ashtaroth. And he looks up and he says, now God, the God, the creator God of the universe and the one who raised up Abraham and his seed for such a time as this, and who delivered us in the Exodus and led us with miracles and a mighty hand. Bring now your fire from heaven and show them who you are. And at the words of the prophet, fire literally came down from heaven and it, it consumed the sacrifice and he even had him pour water all over it several times. And and the people out of fear fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God, he is God. A mighty revival had happened. Now, a man with a similar message at a similar time in Israel's history is standing up. As Elijah preached a message of repentance to ancient Israel, so John the Baptist preached at another time where Israel had become infested with compromise, with idolatry, and with suffering under demonic deception. And there was an outward show, but there was no inward reality. And the boot of Rome was on their back and on their neck, pushing them down. And so when John came, he said, you need to repent. Stop. Don't be compromised. Turn around. Honor the Lord, for the king of the universe is now coming. He said, he's among you. He's walking among you. Everybody's looking around at the thousands of, who is he? And one day he pointed about and said, there he is. That's the one I've been preaching about. That's the one I've been talking about. That man right there, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus promised to all who believe in him and trust in him an abundant life. He came to give us life and that life more abundantly. If you have a pen or pencil, write down that scripture, John chapter 10, verse 10. That's God's will for your life right now, from this day forward, for the rest of the year 2017, on into the next year, into 2018. God's will for your life is to love you and bless you 
and not only love you and bless you, but love you and bless you abundantly more than you can contain. How many are okay with that? That is the will of God, but let me also say that you have an adversary, that he is a thief, he is a liar, he is a robber, and he does not want you to access that spirit-filled life. He wants to keep you trapped and isolated and not in connection with the living God that can set you free. Why? Because he knows the moment you begin believing, trusting, accepting, and walking in fellowship with God and the Spirit and walking in obedience with him, your blessing means Satan's destruction. And everything that he has done to try to, you know, get you uh, ruined in life will break away and fall off. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Let's read this scripture out loud together. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, that word destroy in parentheses, I put all that that Greek word means. It literally means to destroy. Jesus came to devastate, to destroy, to dismantle, to loosen, to dissolve all of the works of the devil. So the more you yield to Jesus and the more you call upon Jesus, his presence and his power will break away the yoke of darkness that the enemy is trying to enshroud you with. When we walk, every moment that we walk in obedience with the Lord, it undoes and destroys the work of the devil. You want to give the devil a headache? Just follow the Spirit. Be obedient to him. Walk in the joy of the Lord. How many wouldn't mind giving the devil a headache? All right? Let it happen. I love this in Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. Let's read this out loud. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah is prophesying when the king comes and brings with him heaven, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, blind eyes will see. Why? Because everybody in heaven can see. Deaf ears will be open and they'll be able to hear. Why? Because everybody can hear in heaven. The lame will be able to walk because there are no lame people before the throne of God. He will bring literally heaven to the earth. And thus, when John pointed to Jesus, he is referring to the prophecies of Isaiah. And Jesus started opening the eyes of the blind and opening the ears of the deaf and loosing the tongue of the dumb. And the lame were able to walk. And literally, wherever Jesus went, heaven went with him. And wherever Jesus is, as he walks in you, he wants to bring heaven to you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? All right, let's go to the next life lesson. Because we have a lot more power and authority uh, than we are exercising or using. So I encourage you with that. Now, the third life lesson. Through baptism, we identify with Jesus. So we're going to talk about what is baptism? What's it all about? What does it mean? And we're having a baptism this Thursday. Well, it's where we are identifying with Jesus. And we become marked for God. All right, so verses 5 and 6. It says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around Jordan went out to John and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Um, 
I love this. Large crowds came to hear John preach, and then they repented, and then they would go into the waters of the Jordan and get baptized as he gave these messages and urgent warnings about the impending hour of judgment. He goes, guys, heaven is coming to the earth. I mean, the king of heaven, the kingdom of God is coming to the earth. Not only are all these miracles going to be happening, the blind seeing and the deaf hearing, but the righteousness of heaven is coming to the earth, and we better get ready, and we better get prepared for it, because there's a lot of things that are unjust and that are unright. There's a lot of evil and a lot of murder and a lot of violence, a lot of anger and a lot of immorality and a lot of witchcraft going around, even in ancient Israel. And I'm telling you, when the king comes, judgment is coming on all those gods and all those practices, and we better get ready for it. Now, I want to share with you how appropriate this message is, not just 2,000 years ago. This message rings and is alive right now, today, for this generation, for your life, and for mine. The King is coming back. And the message starting 2,000 years ago was, I am coming, and I'm bringing heaven with me, and you better repent. And Jesus told parable after parable about, he goes, look, you better be ready. You better live like I'm coming today because you don't know the day or the hour when I will come. I'm going to come like a thief in the night. And many people will be unprepared. And when he finally comes, it will be too late to then change your mind or then want to go in a different direction. If you are lost and in brokenness and sin and darkness and rebellion against God with your beliefs and your habits and your practices, then the judgment of God will come because the earth will be cleansed before the kingdom is established. So the hour to repent is now, and the time to get ready is now. So the Greek word for baptism means to totally immerse or dip. In the normal uh, usage of the word baptize, baptizo in Greek, uh, it literally, this word was used in ancient Greek 2,000 years ago to describe the process of dipping a piece of cloth in a dye in order to completely change its appearance. So here you have this little washcloth and it is being baptized into this blue dye. And so it will be completely submerged and swished around in the blue dye. And when you finally pull it up after having been baptized, which means completely all the way through the fabric, immersed or dipped, it is now forever changed literally, physically, visibly, and will be blue in its future. So also you and I are to be totally, completely immersed or identified with Jesus Christ. And I believe that not only in the natural, when you're baptized, that's a huge turning point in your Christian life, but I believe that all the angels of God, let alone all the fallen or demonic angels, see you. You are from that point forward a marked person for God. It literally is our time to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's interesting how that baptism uh, is being identified with him in a very personal way. So all of Judea, all of Jerusalem, and all those roundabout came out to John. And John's message, it struck a nerve within the, the nation of the people 
and, and it, was a, it had tremendous fruit. It really rocked an entire nation. Let's go on to the next life lesson. Get ready. As John continues his ministry and message, for the Messiah will baptize each of us, here's what he said, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So beginning in verse 7, it says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. <laughs> you know, generally when you have a concert or whatever and you bring and all the people show up to hear your concert and then you go, you bunch of snakes, what are you doing here? It doesn't go over so well. All these people are coming and then he's kind of angry at them. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Then he says, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. So even the Pharisees wanted to get baptized by John. Even the Sadducees wanted to get baptized by John. Why? Because John was super popular for a brief season. And everybody said, this is God. This is a man of God. And whoever would be, you know, blessed of John or baptized by John would receive favor. So even the Pharisees, kind of the religious right of ancient Israel, rule followers and so forth, they wanted to be baptized by John to look good for the people. The Sadducees were kind of more on the left. They had some spiritual beliefs, but they didn't believe in the prophets. They just, just Genesis through Deuteronomy. They were more legalistic, a little more materialistic. Uh, less believing in supernatural things. They controlled the temple money. And so from left to right, they all came to John. But John said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you dip and be identified with the one who is holy and righteous and coming with the kingdom of God and the power of heaven to release and break the power of sin and disease and even death. Because I know in your hearts you haven't repented. In other words, you don't baptize so that then you'll go change your life. But you repent first. You confess your sins first. Then you get baptized to identify with what is taking place in your heart. So he said, I don't see the fruits in your guys' lives, your trees. But listen to what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing hand is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John's message is, okay, human beings, you're all like trees. God is the gardener. And he said, and the gardener is coming after you trees, the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he has an ax in his hand. If you're a tree and you see the gardener with an ax, he's not coming to prune you. <laughs> he's coming to chop you down. And that's what he is saying. No, you guys, you need to repent. You need to confess your sins. You need to be honest before God uh, because he's coming with an ax to chop you down. Your trees but you don't have fruit, not good fruit. The only fruit you do have is bad fruit. So the Holy Spirit will take believers and they, they will be baptized, dipped or immersed in the Holy Spirit beginning with salvation and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
as he lives and dwells and moves within us and through us with the presence of God, the gifts of God, and the glory of the Lord shining in and through our hearts and lives. That was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when they were gathered together in the upper room and after the resurrection, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit fell on and upon and into 120 believers gathered in the upper room. Remember that? Did you know those 120 who had the Holy Spirit come upon them, in them, through them, and with fire had never happened to any man or woman in the entire Old Testament. The Holy Spirit did not come inside of any of those men or women or prophets of the Old Testament. He would come upon them on the outside. They would prophesy for a season, but then the Spirit would have to depart. He couldn't dwell in because of the sin. It wasn't until Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed and sins of humanity were paid for that for the first time in human history, the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God could come inside of a human being and inhabit us and abide in us and not leave us but remain within us. The Holy Spirit will come when the King comes. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and lastly, in fire. The fire that he is speaking of is the fires of judgment. And this message from John the Baptist through the prophets from the Word of God that Jesus himself continued on because when, when John stopped, he was, you know, beheaded by Herod, then Jesus picked up his message. John's first word was repent. Jesus' first word when he picked up after John was repent. When he trained his disciples, the 12, and sent them out, the first word he taught them to preach was repent. And after the resurrection of Jesus, when Peter preached the gospel on Pentecost, his first word of the good news was repent. And when the apostle Paul was knocked down to the ground, as he was persecuting believers, and then he got saved going to uh, Damascus, Syria, the first word out of his mouth when he received the good news is repent. You must quit sinning, turn around, humble yourself, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe and trust in him. Because to this world, listen to me, every leader of every nation, of every government, Every family, tribe, and people, and every last individual will face the personal, visible return of the glory of the King of Kings of the universe. Either you will be baptized in, you know, in your new and resurrected body and filled with the Spirit and burn and shine in the prophets, say, like stars for the rest of eternity, or there will be judgment, the wheat separated from the chaff. The chaff, nobody wants the chaff. You can't sell the chaff. It's worthless. No, it has, it's light. It has no substance, no weight, no value. You just gather chaff up and you throw it into a pile and you burn it and consume it. That is what will happen to those who are evil and wicked and have become infested with demonic hatred and violence and all the rest of it when the kingdom of God comes. So listen, world, all seven billion of you, the king and the kingdom of heaven is on its way. Get ready now. Repent, confess your sins, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, walk faithfully with him, love one another, confess your faults to one another, pray for one another, be patient with one another, but know this, God is sovereign. God is on the throne. 
All of history is marching to the ultimate conclusion of everything the prophets said, and I believe it's all happening even right before our eyes and very possibly could happen in our natural lifetimes. Are you ready for that? Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.